the married couple where a man can still see his wife as a sex object. Lucky is the 45-year-old woman, the 55-year-old woman, whose husband sees her sexually. That is a blessing. Welcome, everyone, to Top Comments. My name is Sam Gelman, the junior opinions editor of The Commentator, and I'll be your host for this episode. Less than one year ago, YAF, Young America's Foundation, and the College Republicans brought Ben Shapiro to speak on the Wolf campus, leading to outcry from students, professors, and administrators across the YU world. Now, one year later, the two groups once again united to bring another controversial speaker to campus, Dennis Prager, a renowned conservative thinker and radio host. His appearance has reinvigorated the political conversation and debate here at YU. Today on Top Comments, we're going to delve into that debate with three top-tier guests. Nolan Edmondson from the College Republicans. Hi, thanks very much for having me on. Daniel Weinreich of the College Democrats. Hello, glad to be here. And Sarah Castile of the Young America's Foundation, or YAF. Hi, thanks so much for having me. As a YAF member, why do you think that it was important for Dennis Prager to come to speak on campus? So, as big believers in free speech, I think that it's important to have speakers of all types. I think Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro are a little bit different in their approaches, so we wanted to have someone after you know all the responses we got from last year and a lot of people um, came to Ben's event, we wanted to have another event this year that would bring a lot of people into the conversation. I also think it's important to have him because he's one of the most prominent GAF speakers and as a chapter of the club that's growing very fast, specifically at YU, we wanted to bring in one of their bigger speakers. So you just mentioned free speech, and Prager definitely spoke his mind. Um, he said some things that I think got a lot of people a little upset. I was in the audience and I saw when he, specifically the comments when he says that women are sexual objects, that was the comment I think that got a lot of the the most like upsetting or, or confused response from the audience in that how could he say something like that? Um, does he really mean that? Um, but when you listen to what Prager says, after he says women are sexual objects, it doesn't seem like he's actually saying sexual objects as what that term usually means. When you listen to the explanation that he gave later in the talk, it seemed that he was really saying that he just wants, he wishes that every husband looks at his wife in a sexual, in a sexually arousing way. And I'll read you a quote that he said. He said, Lucky is the 55-year-old woman whose husband sees her sexually. That is a blessing. So it seems that like he doesn't actually mean sexual object, but more just like he wants couples to view each other sexually and have a healthy sexual lifestyle. So Danielle, we'll go to you now. How would you respond to that? Do you think that's a fair um, understanding of what he's saying? Uh, not at all. I understand the, the desire to be charitable in reading him, but I think when you look at what his actual statement said, that's not the case at all. The, the actual, I guess, monologue he gave was in response to a quote from him in Molly's article that said, it is completely normal for heterosexual men to see women that they are sexually attracted to as sex objects, which clearly indicates that he sees sexual attraction and sex objects as two different things, and he's saying it's normal for them to see people they're sexually attracted to as sex objects. And then furthermore, in justifying this, he then went on to say that gay men also view their partners as sexual objects, and that that's the way God created us. I think what he actually meant, and I talked to some people the next day, and it seemed to be how people understood him, was that he thinks that it is part of the male pathology to objectify people they're sexually attracted to, and that's what he was endorsing. But I will say, he, you quoted him in a statement he 
that didn't sound as much like that. And it, it was reminiscent of a lot of things he said where he would slip between extreme and mild formulations of the same thing, one being uh, possibly acceptable, but the other one being, I mean, stunningly deplorable. I would disagree. Um, I think if you, uh, if you go, if you went to speak to Dennis Prager after the fact, um, you would understand that, uh, that really in his comments what he meant, uh, or what, at least what I can you know, uh, understand of what he meant based on what I spoke to him about afterwards, um, was you know, the general notion that, uh, that after 20, 30 years of marriage, a husband should still see his wife as sexually attractive. Um, and that there's nothing wrong with seeing his wife as being sexually attractive, or even in the context of their bedroom, uh, objectifying her, you know, sexually. He obviously doesn't believe that women should ever be objectified, um, you know, and certainly you know, equates men and women um, on, on equal footing. He thinks it's ridiculous not to. But um, but I will, I mean, concede to the idea that uh, that there definitely was some nuance missing from his uh, from his talk on Monday evening. I suppose that seems to characterize uh, a few of the speakers that YAF tends to bring to campus. They have been labeled, and I don't think it's an unfair label to uh, to, to call them provocateurs. Um, they they you know they, they say things that sell. They say things that attract uh, attention. Um, but I don't necessarily think that. Uh, and while that might miss some of you know, while in in doing that they miss a lot of the nuanced points. Um, and they could perhaps be making very good points, but, but missing a lot of the nuance in it, um, they, they are able to get their point across. Um, so I think that opens it to a much bigger question of, do we forsake nuance and, uh, and, and you know, clear points for things that sell? Do we, do we you know, um, forsake sound intellectual points for the sake of things that, that sell and will get people's attention? Um, which, you know, I can open that up to the floor and anyone else to answer, but... So, Prager has had his radio show for, I think, over 50 years, and he is a very seasoned speaker, especially on college campuses, and as well as being an Ivy League-educated political scholar. So I would say that, you know, on a personal note, separate from Yaf, I would say that I would have appreciated if he uh, gave more nuanced explanations for what he meant. I personally don't think that he meant objects in a different way than he meant attraction. And I think the fact that he specified within marriage so many times goes to show that, you know, how generally people see the term sexually ob sexually objectifying people, they don't see it as a specific instance in marriage. They see it as a general um, kind of way of thinking. And I think that he really separated himself from that idea by, by specifying that he meant in marriage specifically. And that's why I think he really equates the idea with sexual attraction. But um, just in terms of, yeah, you know, I, I think that Prager really knows what he's doing in terms of speaking on college campuses. And I think that he, as a scholar, knew what he was trying to do, whether or not that caused, you know, particular reactions from people. And I, I also think that he really focused so much on that terminology specifically because he was responding to an article where he was quoted saying that. I think he was just really going so strong on that point to reiterate his own beliefs with accordance to the article. I don't know that he necessarily would have brought up that point so much if it hadn't been addressed um, in that commentator article by Molly. Yeah, I mean, to, so it seems both of my peers here are interpreting a statement differently than I did. 
so I would, one, I would want to know how they interpret his justification for the statement about how it's not anti-woman because gay men also objectify their partners and that that's the way God created us. I was interpreting us there to mean men. Um, and wh why is that not reciprocal? Because I would think Prager would agree that women should also be attracted to their spouse. Also, if that is what he said, I think it's still extremely problematic because he's being imprecise with language. Um, he's using objectification to mean something it doesn't mean. And one of the reasons I think this is very problematic was because the day after the event, I was at lunch in the cafeteria and I sat with someone I didn't know and we had a very long conversation about this. And it became clear in the conversation at first that he was not familiar with the concept of objectification. He had not heard of it. He didn't know the, the, the connotation of objectifying women and treating women as sex objects. The, the fact that it dehumanizes people, it reduces them as objects for your, your sexual gain or pleasure or fulfillment. Um, and it, it's equally problematic if he's being imprecise. So it could very well be that, you know, um, as you know, either meanings or contexts uh, of words change you know, based on certain generations, right? What one generation you know, assumed objectification meant, or an object meant, uh, another generation takes you know, deep offense to, which makes sense. Our meanings of our, how we understand and how we interpret the word uh, changes. I'm, I'm in you know, complete agreement with that. So do I think that the use of, uh, of object was the best use of, of words? No. Did, does, does object mean something to him, different to him than it does to you? Clearly it does, right? And you could, and were you to speak to him afterwards, or were you to hear him clarify his point, I think you would understand that objectification to him means something slightly different. Does that mean it was the right word to use? Perhaps not, but just to acknowledge that point, I think that it's possible that, the, that, you, know, that you two could be operating uh, on understanding you know, objectification on two different levels. Okay, so... Daniel, you mentioned though that even if he, even if you're going to concede the question that I asked that he doesn't actually mean sexual object, you're saying that that's a problem in the way he uses the word, um, perhaps in an incorrect fashion. And it seems that the understanding, at least uh, many of us understand sexual object today, it seems that he's almost acting as some sort of of divider in a way. Like he's not trying to find any. It doesn't seem like he's trying to find middle ground. He's looking for ways to basically say things that aren't so controversial in a controversial way, and then when people who disagree with him ask him questions on these controversial statements, he ends up making them look like fools by explaining what he actually means. So how would you all respond to that to that to that idea that he's not he says these things on purpose in order to basically antagonize and humiliate uh, liberals and leftists? Well again, I think that as I said before, that's a that's a problem that's endemic not only in a person like Dennis Prager, but really in a lot of our political discourse today. Right? You have people who will completely gloss over nuance and will simply say you know, uh, these very uh, provoking talking points that will get people to react, which for better or for worse, I happen to think it's for worse, um, seems to have taken over much of our political conversation today. So you know, I think Dennis Prager, I mean, while I do have a ton of respect for the work that he's done and for, um, you know, and for I guess, his dissemination of conservative uh, values uh, via the internet. I do think that he is a part of this sort of uh, this sort of you know group of kind of clickbait conservatives who simply try to say those things which are, which are raunchy and very attractive uh, in order to, to, to get more views. But you know it's not something that's simply conservative. It's also uh, you know it's also endemic in other uh, you know, among other diff uh, other political groups. 
So with regard to the idea that he's kind of trying to cause a divide within the left, um, I would say that that it's not necessarily his responsibility to to um, appeal to the left particularly. I think that if the left feels a divide, it's kind of their responsibility to try to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and try to listen to his arguments and try to, you know, hear, even if they don't particularly think they're nuanced or if they don't agree with the terminology, to try to hear what he's trying to say. And I think that conservatives um, really did, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, as Nolan said before. Um, I, th I think we agree that Perhaps Prager, as on a personal note, perhaps he he didn't really use necessarily the best terminology. But I think that the issue in political discourse today is kind of that a lot of people on, on whatever side it is doesn't really take the time to try to actually hear the argument of the other person. If they hear certain key terms, they'll they'll automatically equate it with a certain ideology and with a certain you know feeling of disgust or disapproval of what that person's saying. And I, I really think that if people would have listened to what he had to say. I think they they from you know from a different perspective. I think they might have been able to to get more value out of what he was saying. So I want to push back a little bit on what you just said because you just said it's not his responsibility really to like kind of explain things for the for the liberal or leftist um, base. Uh, a, le a liberal or a leftist could say just the exact opposite. That it is his responsibility. He's the speaker, so he's the one who should be trying to find common ground as someone who has a lot of weight in the conservative population, he should be one that's trying, that's basically trying to bring people together and not tear them apart. So if it's not his responsibility to do that, then whose responsibility is it in order to bring kind of both sides together and kind of have a, a meaningful conversation between both sides? So I actually um, don't necessarily agree with the way you portrayed what I was saying. I would say, um, in general, in political discourse, I think that we have a hard time finding common ground these days. The idea of democracy from the beginning was kind of based on a set of common values that we don't all really hold. And I think that Prager did an actually incredible job of, of doing that by referencing the Torah so often and, and really trying to unite his audience based on Judaism and that similar value that we have. I think he he really tried to bring that into pretty much all or you know a significant amount of his arguments. Um, I, he clearly put a lot of time into into that lecture specifically to you know unite the crowd at Yeshiva University under this this Jewish identity that we all hold. So I would say that he in fact very much did put in the time to unite us and to try to find that common value. Uh, I agree almost completely with the premise of your question, and I think this is what YAF does. YAF is not a serious organization. They're, it consists of a, they're, they're, you go to the speaker panel on their website, it consists of a list of, uh, I mean, many of them, and especially the most popular speakers, are well-known provocateurs, um, and they come here, you look at their branding, and the, the live stream, thing is, uh, watch snowflakes run to their safe spaces, and you look at the content of their speech, and it's, at no point did Dennis Prager talk about conservative ideas or, or Republican ideology. He spent the whole thing going, the left believes this, the left believes that. Insulting, I mean, I have a whole list of, they don't like facts that are painful, they're not grown up, they're immature, they hate Israel, they crap on America every single day, they embody ingratitude. They, and then their beliefs, no culture is better than the other, there are no absolute rights are on, they're radically secular. It's all straw manning and generalizations, and it contributes nothing to the discourse. I agree that... In politics in general, there is a problem in discourse, but it is not equal, and as the problem relates to the YU campus, it is unique to YAF. 
I would object to that. I, I think it's an unfair characterization of YAF to say that this is what they do. Right? There are speakers, though, who I will concede to your point. There are speakers uh, who built up these, uh, you know, these, these sort of uh, concealed straw men, uh, this leftist straw man who, you know, he failed to really identify and he failed to, uh, you know, craft salient points against uh, either leftist or liberal ideology. And more than that, I suppose my biggest uh, criticism of his talk was that there really was no uh, talk of what conservative values are. Um, and I will, uh, I, like I said, I'll concede to you on that point. I don't think that there were as many uh, talking points on what conservative values are as much as there were talking points on what leftism is. But to say that that's what YAF is, I mean, I don't know how, what your knowledge of YAF is or, or how extensively you've researched their website or the speakers on their website, but they're not all provocateurs. I think these two happen to be a part of a group, a very small niche of provocateurs who happen to have you know, a, a large following. But, um, but YAF you know, it was an out branch of, uh, of the American Conservative Union. Uh, a group of uh, sound conservative thinkers who, uh, who, who are responsible for disseminating researched and educated conservative thought. Um, and it's, it just happens to be that they also have these, you know, these people on their, uh, on their speaker circuit. Okay, so running out of time, um, so I want to ask one final question. Not about Dennis Prager, but more about general, in general. Um, especially last year and this year, there have been many that believe that Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro should not have been allowed to speak at YU at all um, for reasons they were worried about hate speech. A lot of people said that Ben Shapiro's talk last year, um, some of the things he said could have, could have been classified as hate speech. Do you think that there's any, do think there's a legitimate reason to not bring these type of speakers to each university, such as Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, if they're going to go on the border of hate speech? So I, I think that the entire point is that we should be open to listening to speakers even if we don't agree with them and whether or not that you want to characterize that as hate speech, um, I, I think the term hate speech is kind of arbitrary. Obviously the Constitution made a point to have an amendment for the freedom of speech which is really the entire you know, basis for YAF is the, the freedom of speech and wanting to have these conversations. And so I think that refusing to have a speaker on campus because you don't agree with them and calling that hate speech, whether or not they say some things that are provocative and you know you would say are not necessarily kind to other people. On a personal note, I think that you know mocking a student for half an hour was deplorable and I would I, I don't want to get into the term hate speech, but I would say that it wasn't a very it was very much not considerate of him. Uh, I really don't think that that was acceptable, but you know, I think that ca categorizing things as hate speech and then refusing to allow speakers on campus because of that is just the opposite of what we're trying to do in having conversations. So I mean, I, I mean, I think in a perfect world, no one would want to bring Dennis Prager or Ben Shapiro to campus. That, that would be my ideal. But uh, I, I believe in free speech, and I think free speech is more than just a law. It, it's a value. Um, but it's not a value for its own sake. If I, if I were to start a free speech club just to bring in provocative speakers for its own sake, I don't think that would be contributing anything to the discourse on campus. Do you think oh, that Dennis Prager so do I think, uh, speak specifically to the two of them? So, okay, well, one, I think 
I, I read the YAF pamphlet they had on free speech on campus. It was very informative because I've had speaker request forms pending for, for several weeks. Uh, YU has a, a huge bureaucracy when it comes to inviting speakers, as anybody who's involved in club planning, planning would know. You need to get the speaker approved in advance. And I think it, it's clear that YU does not apply their, their policies even-handedly. They have the right to censor people who don't uh, aren't in, in line with their mission, whether I think that's right or wrong, and I don't think they should. I think student councils don't have to give them money, but it, we, they let people like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro, and, and people who speak for Judaism, at, at least they claim to, they, I don't think they do, but they, they say they're deriving from Judaism, they're trying to talk, they quote Chazal, uh, and I don't think they're doing that in a way that's in line with our mission, and I don't think the, the Office of Student Life applies that even-handedly when it comes to more left-wing religious thinkers. So which left-wing religious speakers do you have pending that they were, they're not bringing in? That are still like uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, but I have had one speaker request form in particular pending for about seven weeks. Now I haven't pressed them on it because it, it's not urgent, but I think it's a little telling. And I, I know of in the past speakers who were not allowed to speak on campus, and I know left-wing religious organizations that were barred from co-sponsorship, while YAF is allowed to co-sponsor things fully. So I'll disagree with two points really quick and then answer your final question, I'm sorry. Um, one, Prager nor Shapiro ever you know, ever uh, claimed to speak for Torah, never, never claimed to represent Judaism. They you know, simply, or at least Prager, expressed his own orthodox, small o orthodox worldview. Whatever that means, and take it for what it's worth, it was not an endorsement or, uh, you know, or, uh, or it was not an endorsement of any form of Judaism. He was simply stating his own Jewish worldview. That's one. Two, I would disagree with your, uh, with Sarah's um, uh, you know, analysis of Prager's talk. I don't think he mocked anyone. In fact, he prefaced it with, with, uh, you know, with saying that he you know, had no uh, malintent in mind. Um, and to answer your, your question, do I think it's ever, do I think there's ever a reason to, to censor speakers on campus? Uh, the simple and short answer is no. There's never a reason to do that, um, even if the, the speaker borders on what might be considered hate speech, right? As you said, the, the, the First Amendment is um, more than just the law. It is our, our, it is all, it's every human being's birthright to, to, to have the ability to speak their, I mean, to speak their minds freely. Um, now, that does not always mean that you won't have, uh, you know, retribution for doing so. Um, and, you know, whether that retribution comes from other people, um, uh, however it comes, uh, you still have the ability to speak your mind. doesn't mean that the campus should ever endorse it, or that's a totally separate issue, but it, you know, barring any sort of campus endorsement or non-endorsement, the ability for a person to come and speak their mind, I think, is, uh, is, is something that should ever be barred. All right, and uh, with that, I think we'll end this conversation. Thank you, thank you to all of you. I think it was really, really great and eye-opening. For those of you listening, if you would like to lend your voice or ideas to the podcast, you can email me at samuel.m.gelman at mail.yu.edu, or you can go on the commentator website to the about page, and you can email the editor-in-chief with your podcast ideas, topics, questions, or if you would like to be a guest on the show itself. Again, thank you to the three of you for joining us tonight. Thank you And very much. Um, have a great day. Thank you.